So about a year and a half ago, um, our family added a member uh, to our household. Um, her name is Finway, and she is a uh, she is a year and a half old um, Aussie Doodle. Uh, and if you know anything about Aussie Doodles, there's two things about them. One is they're highly intelligent, but number two is they have a lot of energy. And, uh, and this dog is still more puppy than she is dog. And there's, apart from playing in, her back, in, the, in our backyard with her basketball, she's a herder by nature, so she loves to herd the basketball. She loves to go on walks. Um, not so much me. <laughs> and, uh, and the reason for that is because whenever we take uh, Fimway on a walk, she usually, uh, she's usually walking us. Um, she, uh, she's constantly either moving ahead of us all the time, or she's constantly lagging behind us, meeting other people and dogs or squirrels or chipmunks, whatever she sees on the road. When I go on a walk, the only thing I really want from her is to be, like, with me. And what I was thinking about this, I think that I'm, I'm just wonder if that's how sometimes God, like, looks at me. Like, I'm either constantly sometimes running ahead of him, or I'm distracted and running behind him, and all he desires is that I just stay with him. We've been spending this entire uh, year looking at this book in the New Testament called Acts. And essentially what Acts is, is it's just this, it's really kind of this travel journal that this follower of Jesus named Luke records the beginning of the church, the origin of the church. And, and, and what we have seen with this is that God in the person of the Holy Spirit has taken this very small and super ordinary group of men and women and he started a movement. Uh, and this movement that he started is not a new religion. It, it really is about a relationship. And it's a relationship with a person, and that person's name is Jesus. And what we find is that God in the person of Jesus came to earth, he took on flesh, and, and he lived among us. And he came for, for a couple of reasons. One, he came really to teach us and to show us how to live. But more importantly, the reason he came is he came so that he would become the sacrifice, that he would die a death that we deserved on a Roman cross to pay the price for our sin. And then he would raise from the dead three, day late, three days later to give us the hope of life eternal. And this, this is a gift. And, and, and through these things, he, he's offered us this amazing opportunity for a restored relationship with God. And this restored relationship with God is this incredible gift that he offers us. It's not something that we can earn, it's not something that we deserve, but it's only something that we can do by, by turning from our old ways and then accepting Him as our Lord and our Savior, believing that He is exactly who He says He is and He's done for us exactly what he's, He says He's done for us. And this, this, in its essence, is the message that we call the Gospel, and this small group of men and women go all across the known world and they share this good news of the gospel. And we've been spending the last several weeks following this small band of people that's been led by this man named Paul who we found out just like 
a, a year or so, or maybe even a couple of years, within the last couple of years, had gone around and had imprisoned and killed Jesus' followers just before. And then he has this encounter with Jesus that completely transforms him. And now he's out spreading this good news. And last week we saw that this group, or actually just Paul himself, was in the city of Athens, Greece, which at that time was the center for the world's philosophy. And he was able to share this message of Jesus with those who were in the city. And this week we're going to see the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lead Paul to another city that's just as influential, the city of Corinth, which in that time was kind of the center for commerce in that day and age. And we're going to see how Paul stays in step with God in each and every aspect of what we find. So, if, if you would, just turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Um, if you don't have one of these, we have these, these Acts journals that, that you're welcome to have. They're in the seats uh, in front of you. You're welcome to take this and follow along. We're going to be on page 104 if you have your Acts journal with you this morning. Acts 18 verse 1. After this, this is after he had just spoken with the leaders in Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. So, so get this for a second. This, this is one of those passages that you can kind of like read the introduction and kind of skip past this. So get, get this for a second. So Paul comes to a city that as far as we know he's never been in before. And at that time we know that Corinth was probably a city of about a quarter of a million people. It's a huge place. Huge metropolitan place. And, and he just happens... To come across this couple who have been exiled from Rome by the Emperor Claudius, who happened to do exactly what he does as a tent maker. Now, now this has to be more than just a coincidence, which leads us, what I think, to the first way we see Paul stay in step with God, and that's this. He is in step with God's provision. I mean, this, this has to be God's provision. I mean, God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, leads Paul to Aquila and Priscilla. And he's able to stay with them. He's able to work, which is what I believe that probably Paul had done all this time. Like Paul, by trade, was a tent maker. He, he made tents. And so he would go, my guess is, from these different cities, and he would work, he would make tents, he would sell tents, so he was able to feed himself, or he was able to provide a place for him. For he, he didn't have, like, he didn't raise financial support. These new places that we were starting, they were brand new. They were not able to support him. And so God would provide for his daily needs through this. And this is what I think we see here is God has provided for Saul and meeting his daily needs. You talk about having a complete dependence on God. That's the picture of it here. And, and, and this makes me think of what, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, the, his followers, how to pray, there, there's this line in this, the model prayer, maybe you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, where he says, give us this day 
our daily bread, right? The idea of daily bread, like that, that is such a foreign concept to us today. I, I don't know about you, um, but I know so many times I, I run ahead of God when it comes to his provision for me. And, and there's a couple of different ways I do this. One is I often get in my mind, I get my need ahead of my want. Like I get those two ideas confused. Like the idea of daily bread is your need. It's not about what you necessarily want. And I can get those two things confused. The other way it, it, it happens for me is, you know, this idea of daily bread. Like every day, depending on God for his provision for my need. But instead, oftentimes I find myself relying on things like bank accounts or, or, or food, the food in my pantry or, or the credit cards. It's just easy in culture today not to have to be concerned about daily bread and the problem with that is that we can easily become self-reliant we can easily become self-reliant we don't really need to rely on God for anything in our daily provision or, or you know because our needs are kind of taken care of then we go to God and we just say and then we have a list of wants for God and then like our wants almost replace what our needs are and we view God differently when we don't get our wants from him and it's easy in this to lose sight of the fact that God is the one who provides for us he, he is the one who gives us what we need and, and we can lose step with this daily provision or at least the recognition of it in our lives I mean question I want us to think about related to this is how, how would living this way, this idea, this concept of daily bread, like how would this transform or change the way that you lived? How, how would this change the way that I lived if it wasn't just about my own self-reliance, my own provision, but actually depending on him for my needs? How, how, would, this, how would living this way change our generosity toward the need of others? Like would we see it differently Will we be more, tend to be more generous when we encounter people who have real needs instead of trying to provide for ourselves? And, and, and ultimately, would this lead us to a place where we were really more grateful? Like we lived out of a place of gratitude than always wanting something more, the next shiny this, the next, the newest version of that. And I think that we would live a more satisfied and a grateful life if we got this idea of daily bread. That God is the one who provides. Because, because here's, here's the bottom line with this. If you are a follower of Jesus, we realize that we don't own it anyway. <laughs> he, he owns it all. He, honestly, even if you don't follow Jesus, it's really important to understand that he owns it all anyway. You know, we just simply are giving it to, man, to manage. Acts 18, verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. In other words, Jesus was actually the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. For, for From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue 
Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And so, like we've seen so many different times, if you've been following along with us, or if you're just hearing, like every place that Paul goes, he goes to the Jewish people first, and the synagogues teaches them, and almost 100% of the time, they reject him. And, and so after he gets rejected by the, the Jewish people, he'll go to the Gentiles. And, and this, this idea of shaking the dust off of his clothes is interesting. It, it's almost like this idea that, you know what, even your dust isn't good enough, you know? And this is what we see, I think this is the second way we see how God is in step, or, or, or Paul is in step with God, and, and, and it's, that, that it's this, that he is in step with God's direction. He's in step with God's direction. I, I think sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith, one of the most difficult things for us to discern is when is it time to move on, because it doesn't, it, that's a hard, hard thing, a hard thing to discern, like when is it time to move on? Because there are times that we can run ahead of God when it comes to sharing our faith with others. At what point do you stop talking to somebody about Jesus? Because it almost feels wrong, right? Like, that's what we're called to do is share our faith with others. And at what point? And it's really at that point where they don't want to listen anymore. You know, they, they just don't want to hear it anymore. And you can't force somebody to believe in Jesus. Our role is simply to share. Our, our, our role is to share who Jesus is and what the difference he's made in our lives. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to do the rest. You know, we can't play the role of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. But, but know this, that you never know what kind of impact your words have had on that person that you've been sharing with. You may never see it, but you never know. The example I always think of this is when I was in law school, the, uh, the group, that we, the, you were always kind of like recommended that you get a group of people to study together, like so you could survive the jungle of law school. And so within my study group was a guy named Mike. And now Mike knew what I believed um, about Jesus. You know, we, we had some like tertiary conversations about Jesus. Um, and Mike let me know what he believed. I mean, Mike was an agnostic. And he didn't really want to have conversations about Jesus, except for when we were, we shared a room where we were ready to take the bar exam. Um, and if you're not familiar with the bar exam, like the bar exam, every lawyer has to take in order to get licensed in whatever state they're going to practice. It's like a big deal. And it's a two-day event. And if you, don't if you don't pass it, then, you know, you have to take it again. And it's not a fun thing to do. And so Mike and I are staying in the room, and we'd taken the first day, and we were studying that night, getting ready for the second day, and, and we'd stayed up late to study, and we're in, like, in, like, crashing for the night, and Mike decides he wants to talk about God. Like, I'm like, dude, I, I was like, I, the la you know, I'd love to talk about God, but man, my mind is, like, filled with, like, multi-state bar exam stuff, you know, I've got to remember all of these things, the last thing I want to do is like, and so we did, we talked probably about 30 minutes, like we had a conversation, and, and every time I would make it, like, he wanted to argue with me, like, I, dude, I don't want to argue with you, I just want to sleep. <laughs> about four years later, Mike called me, and he said, uh, he said, hey, I want to share some exciting news with you, my wife and I, he'd gotten married to his girlfriend at the time, 
my wife and I found a really good church in Kansas City, and we started, and I really started when we had that conversation that night in the hotel. You never know what God is going to do. And what's cool is sometimes we can also lag behind when it comes to like sharing about Jesus, right? Because we just don't know if people are going to, re- especially if we've gone through rejection, like Paul here, he's gone through the rejection, you know, he's tried to share and it would be easy for him to say, you know what, I'm just going to shake my dust, the dust off my feet, I'm just going to move on, you know, to do the next thing. But what does Paul do? He literally goes next door. <laughs> I mean, he goes to the house next to the synagogue. And he shares with that family, that family and their household comes to faith. And, and not only the family, but the leader of that synagogue comes to faith in Jesus. Like, that's incredible. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in the vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you for. I have many in this city who are my people, and he stayed a year and six months teaching them the word of God among them. You know, this is super revealing, because what this reveals, like there's a reason that Jesus appears to Paul in a dream, it's because Paul obviously was afraid. And I don't know about you, but I never see Paul being afraid. Like, I mean, this is the guy that we saw a few weeks ago. He gets stoned outside the city by the people who don't want him there. And he gets up, brushes himself off, and walks back into the city. Now, that doesn't seem like fear to me. But but obviously, there's something here that Paul was afraid. Like, Paul had fear. And it's so cool because, you know, Jesus knows this. And Jesus comes to him in this vision and assures him that he's going to be with him. Like, don't be afraid. And this is what we see here in in the third way that we see how God, or how Paul keeps step with God is that he's in step through God's promises. Like, Paul is in step through his promises. And and in in this vision, he promises him three things, right? He promises that he's with him. Which, which by itself, honestly, would be enough, right? To know that Jesus is with you is enough. But then he promises that he won't be harmed. Like, all of the bad stuff that he's seen happen to him, like, that's not going to happen here. You're not going to be harmed. And number three, he promises them, there's a lot more to do here. There's a lot of people who need to know me here. And, And this is one of those areas in life, I think, that our tendency is we tend to lag behind God on. And, and usually the reason that we tend to lag behind God on is because of our fear. Because of our fear, because many times uh, fear will cause us to forget God's promises. My question this morning is, what are you fearing right now? What is it, what are the things or what is it that right now you fear? Are you, like Paul, probably at, were you, are you close to your breaking point because of fear? And what promises of God do you need to remember to keep in step with Him? Like, what promises do you need to remember to keep in step with Him so you're not lagging behind Him because of your fear? Maybe it's the promise that, that He promises that He's always with us. Like, He's in us in the person of His Holy Spirit, and He's always with us. He promises that we are his children. 
He, he promises that he is the one that's in control of all things and that he is good. He, he promises us that he loves us and nothing, nothing can separate us from that love. And he promises that he is for us. And because God, the God of the universe, the God who created all things, is for us, nothing can go, can stand against us. I mean, those are really, really cool promises. And, and so Paul stays in step with God through these promises. And he ends up staying in Corinth, the second longest of any of the other places that he will be. Verse 12. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint, but since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And then he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sinotheses, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. And, and here we see the fourth way that Paul stays in step with God. And he stays in step with God by God's protection. He stays in step with God by God's protection. If you get the, you, you, when you read this, you get the impression that this, like this event, immediately follows this vision that he has with Jesus. Like Jesus comes and lets him know, hey, it's not going to end up like it has in the past. Like before, whenever this would have happened with Paul, all, you know, it was going to be a stoning. He was going to get beaten with rods. He was going to get thrown into prison. Like something bad was going to happen to Paul. And Jesus came in this vision and said, no, it's, it's you know, you're not going to be harmed. And the charge that he's facing, understand, this is a super serious charge. Like, this is, this is sedition. This is like treason. This idea that they're worshiping a God that was not approved by Rome, that could supersede Rome, and this would have been punishable by death. But even before... Paul could open his mouth. Like even before he could defend himself, Gallio makes a decision. Like he doesn't even have to defend himself. Like Jesus has already stepped into this and has already protected him. And Gallio doesn't even, like he doesn't even hear the case. It doesn't even get to trial. The tribunal doesn't even get to, to make a decision. It's like decision made. It's over. And the cool thing about this in Roman law, at least in that region, when the proconsul would make a decision, it became precedent. Like this gives, this basically gives Paul and, and those that are with Paul kind of a blank check to be able to share this good news with anybody without having the threat of the Roman government. That's pretty cool. And, and did you catch it? This is a weird thing. Like Sosthenes, who is the leader, he's the replacement leader the synagogue like he took Crispus's place because obviously he's now following Jesus he, he like faces the full wrath 
of these Jewish people. And, and we don't know why. A lot of people speculate that because he was the one who kind of led the charge and, and, and it, he, they're treated like they're instantly thrown out. They're treated badly by the, the, the pro-council. So now they look bad and so now they turn on Sosthenes. But what's really cool about this and, and how God works in this is we actually read about Sosthenes in another place, and this is in 1 Corinthians 1.1. And it says this, but Paul, when he writes his letter, he says this, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and our brother, Sosthenes. How cool is that? I mean, Sosthenes eventually becomes a follower of Jesus. I don't know, perhaps the Holy Spirit works through this this situation or circumstance or because this group of Jesus followers are meeting right next door to the synagogue. You know, who knows what circumstances, but God works through this situation. And both of these incidents where Paul escapes the judgment of Galileo and Sosthenes becomes a follower of Jesus, I think are perfect examples of what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You see, God's protection is one of those areas in life where we tend to either run ahead, we, we run ahead of God, either through our attempt to control outcomes of life or through our expectations of how things should turn out. That's how we tend to run ahead of God. Either we try to control the outcome or we have an expectation of how things should happen. And sometimes, actually I believe many times, all things, the all things that Paul refers to in this passage aren't necessarily pleasant things or easy things. Many times there are circumstances and struggles we'd rather avoid and not have to endure. But we know we can trust God will protect us. And maybe he doesn't protect us in the way that we would hope that he would protect us. And maybe he doesn't protect us in the way that we think he should protect us. But God will protect us. Because we can trust that his plan, his timing, and his ways are perfect. Do you trust him? Verse 18. After this, after this Paul stayed many days longer. Again, Year and a half he stays in Corinth and took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Sincrea. He had, his he, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. It's a weird, like, random fact, right? And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, which means he went to Jerusalem. And then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And thus launches Paul's third missionary journey. And so what we see here is what I think is the fifth way that we see Paul keep in step with God, and that is that, is that, that Paul's in step with God's plan. Like, like Paul's in step with God's plan. And, and it's so weird when you think about it. I mean, he, he leaves Corinth, he takes Aquila, he takes Priscilla and Aquila with him, 
And he must have made some kind of like, most people think this was like a Nazarite vow. <clears throat> some people think that it was associated with this vision that he has, this, his way of like committing to God that thank you for, you know, not harming me while I'm here, not allowing harm to come to me. And so he takes this vow. And so part of that would be at the end of the vow, you would cut your hair. And, and maybe that's what this was. But then they go to Ephesus, which is, again, he's been to the center for philosophy. He's been, now he's at the center for commerce, and now he's going to go to the center for worship. That's what Ephesus represented. And, and it's really hard when you read this to understand Paul's response to the Jews. Because, you know, they're wanting him to stay and hear more about Jesus, but he's like, nope, I got to go. Like, what? Like, that's... The whole reason that you're doing these trips, right, is to share about Jesus, and he just upped and leaves, and on the surface, this makes no sense. Like, why? Why would he just up and leave? Well, we have the benefit of the rest of the story. <laughs> That's the beauty of living now and not being there then because you can't see the whole picture, but obviously the Holy Spirit is working in this circumstance, and what we know is that Priscilla and Aquila will stay in Ephesus and they'll have an extreme impact on that church in Ephesus. We know that this character that we're about to be introduced to in the text, his name is Apollos. Apollos has an incredible influence on these people and Paul moving out allows for Apollos to be able to step in and lead and, Aquila, and Priscilla and Aquila to step in and lead. And what's really cool, next week we're going to see that Paul actually comes back to Ephesus and he will stay in Ephesus the longest that he stays in any city, he will be there for three years. And he will write more letters to the city of Ephesus than any other cities that we have in Scripture. I mean, Ephesus really becomes important to Paul. To, to Paul. But staying in step with God's plan is difficult many times, and I think it's where I struggle the most. I, I often battle with this because the problem is it, it directly intersects with where I have the biggest challenge in my own life and that is with control <laughs> I want to be in control I don't like to give up control and as a consequence I can find myself either running ahead of God or lagging behind him I love what is written in Proverbs 3 5 and 6 it says this trust the Lord with all your heart trust the Lord with all your heart that's the idea of just putting all of your weight into who God is. Like everything, all in on who God is. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In other words, what you think doesn't really matter. Your control doesn't really matter. Your education doesn't really matter. Your feelings don't really matter. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, that's not just a, yeah, God, you're out there kind of acknowledgement. I mean, this, in all of your ways, acknowledge him. Everything you are, every breath you take, everything that you do, he is the center of your life. Everything in your life centers around him and the person, of, uh, the, in the person of Jesus. Like, everything is about him. And he, this is the promise, he will make your path straight. So in other words, he will guide you. He will lead you along that path. That's what it means to stay in step with God. Verse 24, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. 
He was an eloquent man. What a great description. I am not. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to, to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, were, those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, allowing or showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now, this isn't Paul, but this is how we see Apollos stay in step with God. And it's through this, he's in step with God's message. Like, Apollos is in step with God's message. You know, Apollos shows up on the on the scene and we don't exactly know what it was incomplete about his understanding of who Jesus is and a lot of people think that he knew that Jesus was the Messiah like they had that but they were he was kind of like the disciples like before Pentecost like they knew that Jesus was the Messiah they were aware that he died but he didn't really fully understand like why Jesus had come like that was the incomplete part of it or or the fact that even the, that the Holy Spirit, now the, the presence of God in us was the person of the Holy Spirit. Like, he didn't understand those parts of it. And that's an incomplete view of what God has done for us. And so, what's so cool about this is, I mean, you look at Apollos on the surface, and, and like, he's the complete package. Like, he's, he's all it, right? I mean, he's well-educated. He comes from Alexandria, which, again, was kind of the education capital of that world. They had an amazing library, and people who came from Alexandria would know how, were known for how smart they were. And, and he's, a lot of people believe in church history that this dude could really rock it when he spoke. Like, people would just, like, listen to him. Like, he had a way of saying things. Paul, on the other hand, apparently was super awkward when he spoke, but Apollos, man, he was awesome when he preached. And, and he was passionate, and he was driven. I mean, it would have been easy for Apollos to find confidence in these things. Like, he could have just thought, you know what, I've got it all solved. I've got it all figured out. I know how all of this works. I don't need anything else. But then Priscilla and Aquila approach him, and they say, look, man, you, you got most of it right, but you're missing a few things. And out of this unbelievable, teachable, and humble place, Apollos said, listens to them. Like they pull him aside, he listens to them, and he, he changes his message to have this complete message of what God has done through Jesus. Like that's amazing. And there are times in our lives when we could run ahead of God, think that we know it all. There's nothing more that we can learn. We have all of the answers to life. <laughs> We've got it all figured out, right? Do you listen to God? Do you listen to others? Are you, are you teachable? Are you humble? Or, or do you think that you are, have already arrived? Like, I'm all set. And I hope that you can see through this the question just to wrestle with in your life. And, and, and sometimes this is like a moment-by-moment moment thing for each and every one of us. And the question is this, are, are you in step with God? Are, are you in step... With God, are you, are you running ahead of them? Are you just kind of doing your own thing under your own strength? You know, kind of like, hey, you know, God, you follow me. <laughs> I got it. Come my way. Or, or, or are you lagging behind him? 
Like, are you kind of like, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to do that thing. I don't really completely like trust you. And, and maybe you're even like resisting him or pulling away from him. And let me just share this. The truth is that the best place that we can be is in step with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this example that we see of Paul. And Father, I just pray that by your spirit that you would help us stay in step with you. Father, I confess my own shortcomings in this, and you know, God, how I wrestle with this. And I pray, Father, that you would just help us to constantly and continually listen to you, trust you, and stay in step with you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.